0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, the Scripture we're going to be looking at is on the inside back cover of your bulletin. We're going to be focused on verse 2 of 2 Timothy 4, but we're going to read verse 1 to catch the context. So this is 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. Friends, listen. This is God's Word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is God's Word. This passage today is about sharing your faith. It's about communicating to the people that you know and that you love the good news about Jesus, right? This talks both about what we should be doing and how we should do it. Last week, we saw that judgment is coming, and that helps us to understand the stakes. You know, what's at stake? The judgment coming means that it's important for us, and also it's important for the people that we know that we proclaim our faith through our words and our actions, Okay, I think we need to love people so much that they would understand and be blessed by our faith. That's how I like to think about it. That we would love people so much that they would understand and be blessed by our faith. And verse 2 of this chapter helps us understand what and how. The what and the how of how to proclaim our faith. I think so often we know we're supposed to talk about Jesus. We know we're supposed to share our faith with the people that we know. We think, oh, we need to share with our, with our loved ones, with our family members, our friends, our colleagues, our co-workers. And yet we don't do it. Right? Last week I asked you to do some homework. I asked you to stop and to think. Why is it that I don't share my faith? Why is it that when I think I should, I don't? And I, I think that often... Like, one of the things that I think hits us most often, reasons why we don't share our faith, is because we think that what we have to say is offensive. I mean, if you're like me, um, I sometimes get afraid that people will be offended by what I say, or I'm going to have to say something, they are going to ask me a question that's going to make me have to say something offensive, um, or... Or that people just aren't going to understand because I've been in this for so long what makes perfect sense to me doesn't make any sense at all to somebody else. And so they're either going to be offended, they're just not going to understand, or they'll just think it's not relevant. Like, that's good for you, but what does that have to do with me? Um, And so because of all of that, we don't say anything. I read a parable this week that I think helps us to understand how to share our faith and how to think about sharing our faith okay so here comes a parable that i read this week you are headed out of town for the weekend and you ask your nephew his name is stewart to sit uh, to house sit for you okay stewart's a good kid he needs a little money and he's always loved your dog so it seemed like a good idea until you're driving home on sunday night and you turn onto your street and there are cars everywhere they're parked on your neighbor's lawn they're parked too deep in front of your driveway, and there are people all over your front lawn, in the driveway, even on the roof. Stewart, it turns out, decided to have a party and invite all of his friends, and they all came. As you park and walk up the driveway into the house, you notice that someone has clearly been wrestling in the flower beds and then come inside because there's dirt everywhere, even on the white carpet in your living room where they also wrestled on the couch. Your dog smells like beer. Everything from your refrigerator is on the counter because there's someone in your refrigerator trying to set a world record for the longest time spent in a refrigerator. And as you look up, wondering if it could get any worse, you realize that there are several people, the people on the roof that you saw before, they're actually drunk and they're seeing how close they can walk to the edge of the second story roof without falling off. And then you see Stuart. Stuart is sitting at the head of the dining room table. He's got six televisions hooked up, which he's spliced in from the neighbor's satellite hookup and he's taking bets on the football games that are on the screens. There are tens of thousands of dollars stacked in neat piles in front of him. He is smiling. He's smoking a $200 Cuban cigar, holding a rifle in his right hand, and a girl named Luscious in his left. (laughs) As you walk into the dining room, someone realizes who you are and cuts the music. People stop talking. It gets very quiet. Stuart sees you and sits up straight. You look him in the eyes and you say... (laughs) What you say cannot be repeated in church. Thank you, Bill McCurran. You say... Steward, I couldn't help but notice that the small plant on my desk in my office didn't get any water, right? What do you say? What would you say? Think about it. What would you say? This is your house. This is your nephew. This is not your party. What would you say to your nephew? And now this story, again, it's a parable, right? It's illustrating how we think about sharing our faith what you would say to your nephew is a window into how you think about sharing your faith with other people. Okay? Some of us would blow up. Okay? Some of us would yell, would scream, would call the cops, they'd press charges, and they would get as much vengeance on Stuart and anybody else as they possibly could. Now, some of us share our faith like this, don't we? Apply this a little bit. We think about everything that's wrong with other people or everything that's wrong with the world. We rant and we rave about how broken the world is. Um, we want to make sure that, that Stuart feels the full weight of the consequences of his actions. Right? Many people think that their role in sharing their faith is to condemn people and make them feel alienated from God until they apologize and turn to Jesus. That's how a lot of people think about sharing their faith. I need you to feel guilty so that you'll want to come to Jesus. I need you to realize how much trouble you're in, that the flames of hell are right before you, and if you don't believe that God is going to punish you forever in hell then you won't ever want to come to God and receive His love. I actually used to think that I had to share the bad news about sin and judgment so that I could convince people that they were guilty and going to hell before I ever was allowed to share the gospel with them. That's wrong. That is wrong. That is not the way of Jesus. But so often, this is how we treat other people when they screw up or this is how we treat other people when we are dealing with their brokenness or they make mistakes. So often we present God as though He's angry or disappointed or fed up. And we think that this is what's going to cause them to turn to God. We think this will make them come to Jesus, but that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says about why people turn to God. Romans 2.4 It says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The thing that makes people attractive to God is understanding that God is attractive. That God is kind and generous and benevolent. That He is forgiving and loving. Most people already know that something is wrong. Okay, Whether they admit it to you or not, And sometimes whether they admit it to you depends on how you treat them. But most people know already that something is wrong. Most people feel the brokenness of life, and they know that they're part of that brokenness. Most people will hide that brokenness, will hide the pain of life with drugs, with alcohol, with entertainment, with sex, with career, with relationships. Because it feels better, and that's all the solution that most people have. I was talking with a friend this week, someone who takes drugs. And in an effort to try to understand, but also to try to posit a bit of an alternative, I said to him, sometimes we use drugs to kind of medicate our problems. And he said, sometimes? That's always why we use them. Think back to the parable, right? Think about Stuart, your house. Let's say God was the owner of the house who left town and not you. And what if you were the nephew and God were coming back to see what you had done with your life? How would God respond in the situation? What would God say? I think this could be actually the most important thing. The answer, uh, the answer, the way you think about how God would respond in this situation could be the most important thing about you when it comes to sharing your faith. Because the way that you think God would respond will show up in the way that you respond to others when you share your faith. To me, what's best about the answer that God would give to this question is that the answer that God would give, I think, is exactly the answer that most people would want to hear from him. Even people who aren't Christians. And I think it's not just what God would say, but it's just as much how God would say it. I think that God would look us in the eye with real understanding and compassion and conviction and with deep sadness in his eye I think God would say to us, this will take a while. I think God would look us in the eye with sadness and conviction. He would say this, this is gonna take a while. This is the first blank on your handout. This is what God says to us when He looks at our lives. He says, this will take a while. Sometimes our whole life is a mess. Sometimes it's just one area of our lives that's a mess. Like it's maybe one room, going back to the parable, like the house is clean except for this one room that we really hope nobody ever sees. This one area of our life that we keep hidden. Sometimes our house really does seem clean to us, but the problem is that we forget that we're actually living in God's house. And we're just a steward of His house. We're house-sitting for God. But God enters our lives and says, this is going to take a while. This will take a while. And this posture, when God says this, what is filled with God's words is patience, patience, understanding, and committed love. Okay, God says that to us because He is patient, because He's understanding, and He has a love that is committed to us. God understands why we do what we do. He knows that often we don't understand the impact. He knows that things can get away from us. Right? We didn't mean for it to go this far. We didn't mean for it to get to this place. He gets that. He gets that. And He's committed to us. That's how He loves us. And when we receive that love, when we understand that that's how God loves us, it changes everything about the way that we respond to others. When you realize that God loves you, when you realize that there is forgiveness with God, when you realize the destruction that you've done to His house with your life, it changes everything about the way that you see the lives around you and how you address folks. The kind of sharing that we're going to talk about today, it's not just random conversations with strangers, although I think it applies to that but I want to talk about how you share with your family members who don't know Jesus. How you share with your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your colleagues. These are the folks that you see on a regular basis that you have long-term relationships with. Okay? I think they're the most important people in your life. Okay? And I think we need to get this right. We need to understand how to share with them if we're going to be whole people. And so, what Paul says here in this verse, in verse 2. He gives it to us in three parts. Um, first, we're going to see that Paul says, share the Gospel. This is blank number one there. Share the Gospel. <clears throat> I get this from that first phrase where he says, preach the Word. Paul is telling Timothy, you need to preach the Word. and So what he's telling us is that we need to share the Gospel. The Word, Word, right? When Paul says, preach the Word, um, the word, that phrase, the word, <laughs> those two words, the words, uh, the word. Um, this isn't just the Bible. It's not just preach the Bible, okay? But the word is in the New Testament a phrase that refers to the gospel, okay? It refers to the gospel, the good news of Jesus that was preached by the apostles. And if you do a search for all the ways in the New Testament, the word "word" is used most often, not all the time, but most often, it refers to this gospel that the apostles preached. Okay, Let me just show you one in Romans 10, verses 8 and 9, and then verse 17. Let's look at this. It says, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. So the word of faith, this is the word that calls forth faith. It's the word about Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. And Paul describes this. He goes on, he says, because if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So in, this, in these verses, we see both what God has done and what we are to do. Okay, we see that Jesus died and God raised Him from the dead. Right, earlier in this book of Romans, Paul has described in detail the power that comes from the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so this is what Jesus did. And then we confess what we do. And that is, I'm sorry, we, we see in this verse what we do, which is that we confess that Jesus is Lord. right? We commit to following Him. And we believe that God raised Him from the dead. The Bible says that the resurrection of Jesus is like the ceremonial groundbreaking of God's plan to renovate the whole universe. right? God's plan is to build a new heavens and a new earth where everything's perfect. We've talked about that. That's the coming and the kingdom. Talk about it in verse 1. Um, the beginning of that process was the resurrection of Jesus. And so when, Jesus, when God raised Jesus from the dead, to believe in that means that you believe that God is restoring the world through Jesus, and you are committed to following him. So this is the gospel. This is the gospel. So the God who says to you, this will take a while, is the God who has come and rescued us. Okay, God doesn't come and yell at us. He doesn't tell us to fix everything or else. He knows that as people and as a world, we are over our heads. If you have ever felt overwhelmed, God understands. God understands. We all have things in our lives that enslave us. Sometimes it's physical things like drugs or alcohol. Sometimes it's things that are inside of us, like a need to be approved by others, right? Enslaved to working too much, enslaved to not working enough, right? There are things that enslave all of us. But Jesus came, and because of Jesus, God forgives. God forgives us. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead you will be saved and so God's first word to us his first word to us is a is a word of good news So God doesn't count our sin against us. And then He sets us free from the destructive patterns in our lives. He gives us His power so that we begin to restore our lives and we begin to restore His house. And at the end of a lot of other things Paul says, then Paul says in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing uh, hearing through the Word of Christ. So when this Word is shared when the Gospel is shared, when the Gospel is preached, when people hear about this God, when they hear what God is like, it causes them to trust. Did you know that? Did you know that when you share the Gospel, that's what gives faith to people? And this happens because that's when they begin to learn who God is. And they can begin to trust Him enough to follow Him. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting God with your life. It's trusting what Jesus did for you and then following Jesus' ways because you know that his ways are the best for you and for your life. I was sharing my faith with a couple this week um, and the husband of this couple told me that he had grown up in the church but he walked away from Jesus when he got to college because, frankly he felt like the church that he grew up in just had no real connection to his life. That the stuff that was talked about, the way life was lived in his church, it just didn't really connect, and it wasn't relevant to him anymore. And I told him that the problem that most people face is when their religion stops being good news. You ever felt that way? When your Christianity, when you're church going, when you're Bible reading, when it stops being good news when it just becomes something you're supposed to do, when it just becomes rules, commandments, or judgment and condemnation, that's not the Gospel. That is not the Gospel, friends. The Gospel is good news. In the book of Acts, if you just read through the way that they shared the Gospel in the book of Acts, they describe Jesus as someone who brings good out of evil. Someone who gives His own spirit so that we have His presence with us describes Jesus as blotting out our sin, as bringing times of refreshing in our lives, as renewing our lives, as bringing joy and suffering, as bringing freedom from those who are oppressed by addictions or by the devil. describes it as Jesus, it just, it describes Jesus as God's promises coming true. And all of this comes as we have faith toward God, and we turn our lives to follow Jesus. And what's important here is that you've got to experience this good news before you share it. Otherwise, you won't be sharing good news. It's got to be good news to you before it becomes good news to others. And this is what Paul means when he says, after preach the word, he says, be ready in season and out of season. He's basically saying, look, you need to be ready. He's talking to Timothy. There's going to be times when people want to hear it and then times when people don't. And the key for you is you need to be ready to share the gospel at any moment. You need to be ready. You need to know how to share the gospel all the time. There's times for us when it's going to be easy, and there's times for us where it's going to feel kind of awkward. And the key is just being ready. The key is being ready. And you're ready when you believe that the gospel is good news. Okay? If you want to get ready, you have to be able to say to someone else, this is good news. It has changed my life. This is where it comes down. Can you say that? Can you say this is good news and it's changed my life? If you can say yes to that, you need to make it really clear in your mind how. How is this good news and how has it changed your life? And share that. Share that with others. So Paul says, share the gospel. He goes on and he says, be open about pain. Be open about pain. In this effort to try to help everybody else understand, help other people understand that it's going to take a while, you need to be open about pain. okay? Because sharing the good news doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge the pain of life and the brokenness of the world. With the parable, are there going to be consequences for Stuart? Absolutely. Absolutely. Stewart's in big trouble. stewart has got huge consequences with you, with the law, with countless other people and families, potentially with your neighbors, right? There is real damage, and you're not a pushover, okay? To be able to share the good news doesn't ignore that there are consequences to our actions, because what we do actually matters, But when we say this is going to take a while, when we say this will take a while, what we're saying is that that there is love and understanding in the midst of facing the consequences. Okay, we need to be open about the pain that actions cause. Be open and honest about the reality. Right? We're not ignoring the consequences. God doesn't ignore the consequences. And so we shouldn't either. And these three words, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, in verse 2, these show how to be open about the pain of life. Okay? To reprove, this just means to warn. It's to warn people because sometimes people don't understand the situation that they're in or the consequences of their actions. And so we want to be open with people about the brokenness of the world and about the pain of life. Um, though the world was made beautiful and perfect and wonderful, it's now fallen and it's broken. And to reprove means to warn people that what they do matters. That there are, there's an impact to continuing to choose to do destructive things. To rebuke means to speak against the pain. Okay, so to, to reprove means to warn. To rebuke is to speak against the pain and the brokenness. Right? It's preaching against the harm that we do to ourselves and to others and to our relationship with God. Right? This is important. Uh, to rebuke means to speak to people in a way that would help them to feel some measure of conviction about the things that they do that are destructive. Okay, so it would be warning Stuart about the consequences and where this kind of party can lead if it, does, if it continues to be the pattern of his life. Right, rebuking means to speak against these things and try to bring him to a place where he can realize, oh man, what I'm doing is really hurting me and it's hurting others. And then exhort, exhort. Now today the word exhort sometimes means to get in someone's face and let him have it. Um, I don't think that's what this word is supposed to mean. Um, In the Greek, this is a compound word. And it's made of two words that get put together. Um, It's the word to call. So to call somebody. And then the word alongside. Okay, so we're calling people to come alongside Jesus. That's what exhort means. So we're warning them in reproof. Right? We are rebuking them by trying to help them with a measure of conviction. And then we are calling them to come alongside the way of Jesus. Okay? We are telling them, man, Jesus is in the process of fixing all that's broken in the world. Jesus has come. And when Jesus says, this will take a while. Jesus doesn't give you all of the work to do to fix the house. Jesus actually begins to do the work himself. And then he invites you to come along with him and join him in his work. And so to exhort someone means to tell them, hey, there is a way out. There is a way of forgiveness. And there is a way that you can turn your life around. If you come alongside Jesus and you live and follow Jesus, your life will go from producing destruction to actually producing life that lasts. I think when we call people to come alongside Jesus, it reminds us and them of the Gospel. We come alongside Him because He has come alongside us. Jesus came to earth before any of us were born. And he did this thing to begin the renovation process for the world, to begin the healing process. He has been healing people for thousands of years. He's been putting lives back together, healing brokenness, freeing people from addictions. He has been working in these radical, powerful ways in individuals and then even in societies. Okay, and it hasn't always been a you know, steady road uphill. There have been negatives in the history of the church. You know, we're not ignorant of those things. But Jesus has done all these things before we were born. And so when we come alongside Jesus, he turns and he says, I've been waiting for you, right? He's like the father in the peril of the prodigal son. When we come back to Jesus, he is waiting for us. He celebrates us, right? And he invites us and he heals us so that we can begin to join him in his work so that our lives are then alongside him. So reprove, rebuke, and exhort. These three words let us be open about the pain, but then also excited to share God's solution. Right? And sometimes we need to make sure that people understand how much Jesus loves them for them to be willing to admit the depth of the destruction or the brokenness that they're experiencing. Right? Because some people won't even admit it or won't acknowledge it if they don't know it's safe to. And so this exhortation piece... Goes along with the gospel, and it's so vital in being open about the pain. And then the last thing Paul says after sharing the gospel, being open about the pain, he says, Pursue the relationship. Pursue the relationship. And I get this from that last phrase. He says, With complete patience and teaching. See that there? With complete patience and teaching. So everything that Paul has said here needs to be characterized by patience and teaching. So you share the gospel with complete patience and teaching. right? You are open about the pain with complete patience and teaching. You're not trying to win an argument when you share your faith. You're trying to pursue a relationship. Your ultimate goal... Right? Your ultimate goal is that this person you're sharing with would have a relationship with Jesus. And so when you share the gospel or open about the pain, the way that you interact with them will communicate to people what Jesus is like. If you are harsh, they're going to assume Jesus is harsh. Right? If you are hell-bent on winning an argument, they're going to think that all Jesus cares about is being right and convincing them that they're wrong. teaching, this idea of, of with complete teaching, it recognizes that many people just don't understand who God is yet. There may have been a day when everybody kind of knew God, they knew the gospel, and so you could just tell them stuff and they would be like, oh yeah, I know that, okay, I'm going to come back to that understanding. That's just not true anymore. Most people have very different views of God. Most people have very skewed views of Jesus. um, Part and parcel to the sins of the church, right? And Jesus' followers not being very good followers. But not exclusively the church is at fault. I mean, the media is not unbiased in its portrayal of Christians in a negative light. Um, There are people who have been burned by the church. Um, There are people that say awful things about the church. Persecution is real and it's not always deserved. Right? And so there are people who just don't know what God is like. And they need someone. They need someone in their life who is concerned about having a relationship with them, who could say to them, you know, I don't think you quite understand who God is yet. Let me share with you something that you might not know about Jesus. This is what he's like. Right? There are people who need to be taught, not necessarily like sit down while I teach you, But again, to come alongside and say, you know what, this is how I understand Jesus is like. Or this is what the Bible says Jesus is like. This is how I've experienced Him. And so this is teaching. Patience means saying to others what God says to us. You know, this will take a while. This will take a while. So often we get impatient, don't we? I was sharing my faith recently with another Christian... Who was frustrated um, because another Christian didn't trust the Bible? Okay, didn't trust the Bible, and so I asked this person, "Well, why do you trust the Bible?" They said, "Well, God has proven Himself to me over and over again, and when I follow the Bible, my life works out better than when I ignore it." I said, "Okay, so what I'm hearing you say then is that you have this trust in the Bible, right? You trust the Bible." Because you have this long history of seeing God work in your life through the Bible. Yeah? So, I think this person that you're speaking with, um, what they're missing is, yeah, they don't trust the Bible at this point. But it's maybe not so much that they don't trust the Bible that that's the issue. Maybe the problem is that they don't have what you have. Which, this, which is this long history of God working in your life through the Bible. And so maybe if you could help them have some of these experiences, where you invite them to, hey, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's one place where you can see if you can apply the Bible to your life. And let's see how it goes. Right, And if you add up a few of those, then you might not even have to worry about ever trying to convince them that they need to trust the Bible. Because God will take care of that. Things that in my own life took me literally years to understand. I have a tendency to get angry and frustrated with people who don't get it after I've explained it to them once. Right? Predestination, it took me forever. I can't tell you how many, a hundred hours maybe of arguing and reading and studying before I could really put predestination together with what I understood about the Bible. But once it clicked for me, I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like, can't you see that this is what the verse says? That's not patient. That is not complete patience in teaching. Um, And so we got to ask ourselves the question, when we share... Are we pursuing a relationship, or are we trying to be right? Do we just want to sort of give the answer and then hopefully wash our hands with it? You know, and like, oh, you can go figure this out on your own. Friends, that's not what Jesus does. That is not what Jesus does. Jesus looks every single one of us in the eye, and he says, this is going to take a while. There are things that I need to share with you that you're not going to like. And so you know what? I want to make sure that you understand how much I love you first. I want to spend time focusing with you on how to trust me and how to experience my love and my grace. I am committed to you and I want you to know that I'm committed to you. So that when things come up, and I have to say things, and I have said things that you don't like, I want you to remember, and I want you to have this basis, this this like established relationship of trust. When Jesus says things that we don't like, it's like him making a withdrawal from our bank account. You know, um, and the reality is that sometimes... When Jesus says things that we don't like, the withdrawal is so big that we don't have a balance left. And we go into the negative and we walk away from Jesus. I think complete patience and teaching. What it means to share the gospel with somebody, to convince them and to pursue a relationship with them means that you are making deposits in their life. That you are helping them understand not just the stuff that needs to get fixed because how would you like it? Right. If all anybody ever did was take the one thing or the two things or the 20 things or the, depending on how honest you are, 100 things in your life that are problematic and all they ever did was talk about that. That's not the way of Jesus. I think Jesus looks us in the eye and says, this is going to take a while. But I'm committed to you. And I want you to experience my love and my power. And if there are things that you're not ready to deal with yet... I may be okay with that. I want you to follow me and trust me with what you know. I think this is one of the reasons why our Bible is so big. I think the Bible is a record of just how much God is patient with people. Over and over and over again for thousands and thousands of years while his people slowly Slowly, slowly get a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I just I think this needs to characterize our relationships. This needs to characterize the way that we share our faith. We need to be committed. We need to be committed for the long term. I think when we show that, when we show that to others, we then reinforce the gospel we show people the reality of god's patient love we show people god's commitment and so for you i mean what would your relationships look like if you were to look people in the eye or even just say in your heart hey with this person this is going to take a while what would change What would it look like if you were able to more clearly share why you think this is good news and how it's changed your life? What would your relationships be like if that's what you were pursuing when you shared? If you were pursuing a relationship with people? Man, let's find out. Let's find out. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that when you came, you came to save. You came to seek and to save those who were lost. Jesus, thank you for looking at my life, for seeing all of the brokenness, all of the problems, all of the darkness, all of the addiction, all of the sin in my own life, and then speaking a word of good news, of forgiveness of life, of hope, of love. Jesus, help us now to see you coming to each one of us and to say with sadness in your eyes, but also with a smile that this is going to take a while. That you're committed to us. Help us to see you saying that to us. So that our hearts would change our thinking would change about the people around us that's what we want Jesus we want to share this love this grace with others so help us Lord and Jesus for those who are here and don't know you yet would you reach and touch them Would you help them to hear you say the same thing that you say to us this will take a while but you're committed And let us be a community that demonstrates your committed love. Help us to do this this week. Jesus, show us the people in our lives that need to hear that we're committed, that need to feel that we're committed, and show us how we can be committed this week. We pray in your name. Amen.